Well, I want to welcome you to the Hills Church at home or wherever you are viewing or listening. So glad uh, that you're a part today. But let me encourage you to do a couple things. Uh, in fact, I know I say this each and every week. Go to our website, hillschurcharcadia.org, and download the message notes. And I think it's so important, especially as we are talking and teaching about these end times, the end of days. I encourage you to download the notes. Also, if you have any children that are watching, maybe you don't. You know, I, I know people that print it out and give it to their grandkids. Uh, we have people that will print it out and bring it to church uh, for other kids. So I encourage you to download the kids' notes. Have those uh, as well, too, and they can follow along. So today, uh, my title, in fact, what we started last week was The End Times. And we used uh, the title, On My Way, talking about Jesus's return. And, you know, this is week two. You know, and I'm noticing today, we really don't, we really don't have to search for headlines of today to look at, are we in the end times? I had received two emails this week, and I'll, I'll keep the, the country out of it, um, not necessarily for security reasons, but for privacy. And if I if I said the nation, everybody would know this nation. But the emails went like this. The first one was uh, to ask us to pray for this nation that's in the midst of its third lockdown and just the difficultness that's taking place with the people and the businesses uh, and even the churches. But then the second email came out the next day, which in the Senate of this nation is a bill um, that would allow there to be restrictions on worship and also surveillance by this nation on houses of worship and homes of worship. Again, if I said this nation, um, it would shock you. So we, we are seeing these things take place. For those that listen, even in California, as we shared uh, even last week, of uh, there's been about seven uh, different legal activity against the state of California and our governor uh, with restrictions as far as religious activity. So we're seeing that in these days more and more. But Jesus's words to us is to not be discouraged. You know, when you see these headlines, we're to keep our heads lifted up and our eyes fixed on him. We know that the days are short, but I want to remember, in fact, I want to bring up this one verse for us that Jesus said these words. He said uh, about these end of days, about his coming again, that we all have to be so clear because people continually try to predict the actual day or dates or a season. And Jesus said, but of that day and hour, no one knows. And I think that's so clear for us. No one knows except not even the angels, but my father only. The only one that has the date is the heavenly father. Well, let, let's go um, back a little bit into the Old Testament. In fact, I'm going to put one reference up on the screen here. And how do we know that we are in that those end of times? You know, we know that Jesus in John 14 told the disciples that he was going to have to leave and he was going to prepare a place for them. Well, it's been over 2,000 years and Jesus hasn't returned yet, but there was something 
that begin to set in motion a time that we can see in scripture of something that became so clear. And we actually read it in Amos chapter nine. We're going to look at verse 14 and 15. Um, that's going to be prophesied by the prophet, prophet Amos. It's also going to be prophesied by Jeremiah the prophet, but he's going to go in a little bit longer. And that's in chapter 30, verse one to chapter 31, verse 40. And I'll let you look that up as well. I want to go into Amos. And this is talking about um, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people returning and having a nation of their own. Listen to these words. I will bring back the captives of my people, Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up. I want you to hear that part. No longer shall they be pulled up from the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. God says, I will bring back the captives to that land. They're going to build the waste places. They're going to plant vineyards. They're going to drink wine. They're going to make gardens. Fruit is going to come forth, but he mentions that he is the one giving them the land. We know that today is the nation of Israel. I recently, even coming across a video on YouTube, um, looked at the desalinization that Israel has been able to do with seawater and how they are selling water to other nations, how they are a nation that has no lack of water supply, and they are in the middle of the desert. They are well known for agriculture. They are well known for their fruits and their vegetables, for exporting goods. And they're in this small strip of desert, hot desert. But the Lord has blessed what they've done. But something happened. In fact, the date we know of is May 14th, 1948, is when Israel became a nation. May 14th, 1948. Well, when we look prophetically at like this prophetic calendar, one of the things that we notice is on this date, that scripture was fulfilled. Jeremiah was fulfilled. God was bringing them back. And even if you research today, all of the science, uh, the military technology, all of the health technology, the buildings, Israel is a prosperous land with not a lot of people and not a lot of territory, but it's become, uh, they become a nation of blessing because God said so. And they were um, really in exile and fleeing for about 2000 years until this date, May 14th, 1948. Now it's interesting and you can look it up. Some of these things that I encourage you always to study on your own. But the UN Security Council voted that day and it lists the nations uh, that voted. And there were only two nations that were very interesting in uh, what their decision. One was Egypt that said no. The other one was Great Britain that abstained from even voting, which could be interesting when we look at end times. So May 14th, 1948. May 15th, 1948, there's a war. There's the Israel-Arab War. 
So the moment, like the day they become a nation, the next day they are in a war. In fact, the dates uh, of that war kind of go on a little bit. It's almost uh, almost a full uh, nine or ten months. Imagine you're you're a nation for a day, and you're at war. You haven't even had an opportunity to put together a military and uh, all of your armament and ammunition. But that's important for us because that's a timeline on the calendar that the clock is now clicking. But remember, no man knows the day or the hour. Now, let me jump into the New Testament for just a minute. And I want to throw this phrase out for us because in three different places, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians and in Thessalonians will say these words, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, the first time he says that, he uses it in reference in 1 Corinthians 10 of Moses um, and the Israelites crossing over the Red Sea. And he talks about God in the pillar of the cloud and fire and how it's a type of Christ. And he details out about the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts with, I don't want you to be ignorant about that. He also comes in about spiritual gifts, spiritual things. The apostle Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And then the third time we read him use that same language, we'll read it in a minute, First, First Thessalonians chapter four, he doesn't want us to be ignorant about the, the, the rapture, the gathering together of the church. In fact, when he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, one of the things he's talking about is he wants you to be informed. In fact, it's like, I want you to understand. I want you to understand these specific things. I don't want you confused. So he, the apostle Paul, who's the primary apostle that God uses to, to write and to write doctrine to the church, letters to the church, is going to remind us not to be ignorant of these things. So in uh, 1 Thessalonians, I want to jump there. If you were with us last week, we ended with Matthew 24 and the three questions the disciples asked Jesus and Jesus began to talk about some of the end of days. But I want to jump ahead just a little bit and look at an event that the Bible teaches us about that's going to happen, though there are, are many Bible scholars, there are many teachers that think the dates could be, or the timing could be different. But I want us to be very clear about one thing, and the Apostle Paul writes this, and follow along as I read this. But I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you unaware, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, here's what he says. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Notice what he says in those verse, then the Lord himself, so God knows the time, and at a particular time, and remember, God lives in eternity. He's not set by a watch. He is going to tell Jesus to go get his church, to go get his people. And we read this, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I like verse 17 out of the passage translation, and it says it this way. Then we who are alive will join them, transported together in the clouds to have an encounter with the Lord in the air, and we will forever be joined with the Lord. Those that are alive will join them. In fact, I won't get into it, but I do want to mention, notice um, the Apostle Paul uses the word fallen asleep, you know, and there's a there's a teaching out about soul sleep that when you die, you are in this uh, non-existent realm until Jesus comes to his church. That's not what the Bible's teaching. It's back specifically at this time. What the Bible uh, is teaching is that the body is almost like it's asleep. The spirit of the person is in heaven with the Lord Jesus. And when uh, when God says it's time and the Jesus begins to come down, there's the voice of the archangel, there's the trumpet, Jesus stays in the cloud. Those that have died and have been in the Lord Jesus come back to wherever they were buried, cremated, eaten by lions, drowned at sea, wherever they were, and they're on their way back up to meet the Lord in the air about the same time that we go back up. That's what it's talking about. There's no teaching in the Bible that talks about soul sleep that you go into nothing. Even remember Jesus's words on the cross to the thief on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say today, today you're just gonna sleep until I come back for my church. So when we read these things, we're to comfort one another. Now, um, this might be so new to you. You might be listening or watching and you've never heard this before. And for some of you, you might say, I've heard this my entire life. But let's go back just a little bit into the book of Genesis because we read something very interesting that happens just like this situation that we just read in 1 Thessalonians. In fact, um, there's a man by the name of Enoch. Enoch will live 365 years. Now, remember, between Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 5, the world is a whole different place. People are living hundreds of years. But the sad part of it is they're not following after God. In fact, we read in Genesis 6 that there's only one righteous, and that's Noah. And God spares Noah and his family. In fact, several weeks ago on here, I, 
I did a little little bit of, of research to try to figure out how many people would have been on earth at that time. And you know, um, there were probably a lot more people on earth at that time speculated than even our time because they were living so long. They had multiple kids. It was an agricultural type of community. And yet there was only one righteous. Well, in this, in this verse, all we read about a little bit is a, a man by the name of Enoch. And Enoch walked with God. Now, I want to stop there and just say this. Uh, Enoch had no Bible like we have. In fact, the, the early, the Pentateuch wasn't even written yet. He has no Bible. He has no reference. He has no Psalms. He has nothing to reference about God other than what he's taught. But he's walking with the Lord. Obviously, it's a it's almost like an example of early on with Adam and Eve where God would, would come down with them in the cool of the day. We don't get a picture of God coming down with Enoch. Enoch's walking with God, which lets us know his thoughts, his heart, his prayer. You know, the little bit that, that um, he knew, he had a relationship with God. He walked with God. And you know, when you walk with God, you're obedient to God. You're in fear of the Lord. You're wanting to honor God in all that you do. And the, then it says here, and then he was not. So Enoch walks with God. And one day, here's what happened. God takes him, right? He walks with God and God takes him. You know, Enoch is referenced in the book of Jude. Enoch is also referenced in the book of Hebrews. In fact, he's in the hall of faith. He walked with God and was not. Interesting that in Genesis 3, we get a picture of what we just read in Thessalonians. And though it may be hard for you to think how it happened, it happened to this guy, Enoch. In fact, uh, it also happened a little bit different situation to Elijah, the prophet Elijah. In fact, we read in uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 11, that Elijah was taken up. And the Bible says this, then it happened as they continued. This is uh, Elijah and Elisha walking together. Elijah knew his time was up. They continued to talk that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So here we get a description of two people in the Bible that did not die. We read about Moses. Moses died. His, his bones were hidden from the devil himself by angels. But these two, Enoch and Elijah, didn't die. You know, in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus took the three, Peter, James, and John. In fact, the Bible calls it he transfigured before them. And the other two that appeared was Moses and Elijah. Now, when we read that, remember, Jesus comes to fulfill all the Old Testament. In fact, what we notice is uh, Moses brought the law, and Elijah is one of the prophets that we look to as a prophet of the prophets. And we know this, that Jesus fulfilled both the law and the prophetic words talked about him. And so when those two appeared, we also know this that we'll look at in a few more weeks, 
that in uh, the book of Revelation, there talks about there's two witnesses to come on the earth. And at the same time, they're seen all throughout the earth. You know, interesting today, you can view something, the entire world can view something just on our phones today, what's happening all around the world. Well, there's two witnesses. And really, the um, what we see in scripture is it's probably the two that didn't die, Enoch and Elijah. Now, we're not for sure, um, but probably it is. Well, here we see that two are taken. Well, it's interesting to note that because, as we talked about a minute ago, the Apostle Paul talks about that we're caught up together in the clouds. That's where we get the term. We've used that term, the rapture. But the word is the gathering together. In fact, it's a um, it's actually a Greek word that talks about to take up by force, to catch away, to pluck up. Well, that's what happened with Enoch. It's actually what happened with Elijah, though it was a chariot of fire and horses. But we'll be caught up or we'll be taken up by a force. We'll be plucked up. We'll be caught away. And it's interesting, the Apostle Paul also used this word early on in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 and 4. You can look it up. That he was caught up. He didn't know if it was a dream or a vision or in the body, out of the body. But he was caught up, uses the same word, into the third heaven. Or God took him up to show him the third heaven of which he said, I can't even express what I saw. I don't know how to put in words what I saw in the third heaven, nor would it even be appropriate for me to say those things. So clearly we know that the Bible teaches us that there is a, there is a gathering together, a catching up, but really it comes down to timeline. When do these things happen? So let me put these up. These tend to be where people kind of fall. And here's what's important as we go through this. This does not affect your salvation. You, If you confess Jesus as the Lord of your life and you're following him and are, or obeying him, this does not affect your salvation. When we look at these scriptures, there are arguments for each of these. Primarily, we've always taught that there was a pre-tribulation rapture. If you've, you've heard the word tribulation, I'm sure, but if you've never studied the tribulation, the tribulation is a seven-year period that comes on the earth that is trouble, right? Extreme trouble. In fact, Revelations begins to talk about that. We'll talk about the tribulation a little bit more. But pretty much there were three different focuses that most Bible scholars and people thought about, and really there's probably four, and it's a pre-tribulation rapture where Jesus comes to get his church before the seven years of tribulation. There's a, a another thinking that Jesus comes in the middle, three and a half years, in the midst of the tribulation to take his church, there's also been a, a, another one that people have looked at of what's called a pre-wrath. That before the very end, the worst of the worst of the worst of the tribulation that Jesus comes to get his church. And then lastly, a post-tribulation that 
We go all the way through the tribulation, and then at the end, Jesus comes. Well, I want to give you a couple verses in the time that we have today of what I believe, because I feel like it's so clear in the Bible, Bible that there will be a rapture of the church. The apostle Paul writes about it in Corinthians and Thessalonians. And yet that question comes out of when. In fact, we know we're reading about rapture when we read about trumpets and clouds in gathering where Jesus doesn't step back on earth. I personally believe that it happens pre-tribulation. In fact, for those that lean mid-tribulation, we know that those first three and a half years that there's peace agreements taking place uh, with Israel. We'll get into that later. But I want to give two verses. You know, I know a lot of people might say, you know, just a couple verses isn't enough to hang up. But I want you to listen to these, these two verses. And the first one comes from the Apostle Paul talking really in the next chapter after he's talked about the rapture of the church. And he says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. I want you to hear these words, that God did not appoint us to wrath. There's a difference in troubling times. You know, we're, we're living in a broken world system. As we watch even the headlines, there is lawlessness that's abound. There's wickedness that's abound. There's been troubled times in this last year. The things that we've had to endure with COVID, the things that we've watched, the kids have gone through depression. Uh, what's happened to families, families losing a lot. We are in troubled times. But it's nothing like the trouble that's going to come on the world during the tribulation time. In fact, here's what we know. Wherever Jesus shows up, his word works, whether you believe pre, mid, uh, post, whatever you believe, he still promises, and his promise is eternal, that he is your shepherd, your provider. He'll look out after you. You know, those early Christians they stood up to the Roman Empire. They stood up to the, the Jewish leaders that wanted them to stop using the name of Jesus. They stood up. They were persecuted. They were beaten. In fact, many pastors today that are in China, that are in Iran, that are in Turkey, and there are other nations that are out there would almost think they're in the middle of tribulation. They've been beaten and they've been jailed and they've been persecuted and their churches shut down, their families separated. And yet uh, those aren't the troubled times that we read about in the Bible. God did not appoint us to wrath. God did not appoint us to wrath. You know, in one of Jesus's words that he would never leave us helpless. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. Revelations chapter three, in fact, this is a letter from Jesus to one of the churches and listen to Jesus's words. Because you have kept my commandments to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come on the whole world to test those that dwell on the earth. I believe this. There has been a testing even in the church with various church lockdowns, as I mentioned before, 
even restrictions uh, as our church is based in California, seven different restrictions, no indoor activity, um, no, no house church. I mean, all of the different restrictions. Notice what Jesus says to this church to persevere. I will also keep you from the hour of trial. Another scripture that, that indicates that um, there's a possibility, right, of that he would come before trial. You know, and I've always believed this. In fact, I want to put back up these ones. I've always believed this. For these, and we'll look uh, scripturally at some of these. For these end of day occurrences to take place, I always look at his church on the earth. And how the scripture lets us know that the greater one abides in us for these things to come to pass. And when we read about the Antichrist, who's a fully demonized individual that's going to have the charisma to rally nations to think that they're in peace. I have always believed that the church that has the power of one can uh, cast a thousand to flight, two can do 10,000. That the power of the church has to be taken out for these things to come. We'll talk about those uh, in the next few weeks. That Jesus will come for his church and then these things will take place. You know, it's so important when we read these things that we do ask those questions. In fact, we go back to the timing. No one knows the hour the time. I can't say, you know what? I've got plenty of time. I, I mean, even if we look at the, the signs of the time, we have time. Do you know how quick things are rapidly changing? How quick things are going into effect? How quick we get news stories. One thing says one thing one day. The next thing says something the next day. There are things happening behind the scenes with leaders that we don't know about, but it lets us know there are things happening in the spiritual realm that we need to continue to pray about because there is activity all across this world today. Today, even as we're doing the message, we have Russia building up troops. In fact, the last I read even early this morning, maybe amassing 100,000 troops on the border of Ukraine. We have China flying... Um, their military planes around Taiwan, not to mention all of the things happening in other nations throughout the world. We have, uh, we have interesting economic things happening in our nation where the stock markets are booming. The other day, our banks are recording amazing quarterly profits. And we wonder with people out of work and situations that are going on as we wonder, how are all these things being propped up? It's almost as if everything is on just a hair trigger. But we've seen this time and time again, that all things change and all things get back to normal. Yet we don't know the hour. We can't wait. We don't know like when we read when God just says, go get my church. And you know what? Jesus comes and those that are left behind, it's too late for the tribulation time. They'll have time to accept Jesus but they're, have, they're going to have to endure difficult, difficult days. Jesus wants you aware. The apostle Paul wants you aware. The Bible is at your ready that you can read and understand uh, and allow the Holy Spirit to teach you that 
He loves you. He's making a way of escape. He's offering you that opportunity and he loves you so much that he is going to come for you if Jesus is the Lord of your life. You know, so I want to ask you today, whether you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, whether you're running from him or you're just saying that, you know, I need to make sure I want you to pray this prayer, if you would, after me. It's so, so, so important. In fact, we get it from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Dear God, I believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for me. And I accept him as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of all of my sins. And today I begin my relationship with, with you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible mentions a few things that if you've said that, if Jesus is Lord of your life, the Bible says that in heaven, somehow it's announced that your name, right? Somebody came to salvation and there's more joy in heaven. The Bible mentions that your name is now written in the Lamb's book of life. There's actually a miracle that just took place in your life that your spirit on the inside has been reborn. You've become alive. You probably didn't feel anything, but by faith you believe and you're going to follow the teachings of Jesus. You're going to read your, your Bible and you're going to hunger and thirst to know him. And the Holy Spirit is going to teach you. But I encourage you, if you prayed those things, reach out to us like many have. Let us just encourage you, give you some tools to, for your next step. Maybe connect you in whatever area you're into a church. It's so important in these days that we fix our eyes on him. We're aware of him and we're telling others about him as well. Just connect with us. You can do so by email or you can do so by the social media platform that you're watching right now. So I encourage you to do so. Well, our verse today for our uh, tithes and offerings is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. It says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. In fact, one of the translations says the fat of the land. Now, we might think that's gross, but we know fat on food brings flavor. Whether it's fat of olive oil or butter or whatever else you use, or even the fat on the meat, it causes flavor to take place. Notice what the Lord says, if you're willing and obedient, those two words, you will eat the good of the land. That's what he promises. So as we receive our, our offering day, let's pray this together. Pray it, confess it, believe it as you pray along with me. Ready? As I give in today's offering, I fix my eyes on Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer, my very present help in time of trouble. My eyes are fixed and by faith I will not be moved. I will not be distracted. Jesus, I trust you and I know you are working on my behalf. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I sat down the other day and, and I started thinking back the last three years of all of the ways that God has provided blessings. And, you know, at some point, some way, I, I want to share those, just like you have uh, probably examples of, of, of well, too. And, and when I think back on that, 
it's just amazing what God does because I've been willing and obedient. When we have things that we're personally facing that we know is going to require more money to be saved or, or something, we do the opposite is we start looking for places to give into God's kingdom, knowing that if we give and we do it and we do it unto him, that he's going to cause the blessing to return. And we know that we trust him. So if you're giving today, you go to our website, hillschurcharcadia.org, and you can click on the give button. It's it's safe, fast, it's secure. You can write to us by mail, the Hills Church, P.O. Box 661419, Arcadia, California, 91066. Boy, so I want to encourage you that if you're in our area and want to attend in person, you can do so. We're meeting on Sundays uh, at 10 o'clock. But as we do each week, we're uh, online and uh, many listen even on our podcast as well. So glad you're a part. Follow along in these scriptures. Uh, read about them. Now, don't become distracted to the teachings of Jesus. It's easy to get in on the end times and get excited because it is something that we're facing, but we follow Jesus. He is our help. And as we do each and every week, I want to read uh, this verse that is the verse uh, of our church in our name. And David penned this and probably sang this. Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I look up to the hills. But where does my help come from? My help, your help, comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The Lord bless you. Have a great day.